Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Harriet Tinka. Harriet has already been introduced to you, uh, the Live on Purpose audience, through an interview that I did with her co-author, Dr. Alan Laika, who showed up and talked to me a little bit. You know, and as I was interviewing Dr. Laika, and he's a, he's a delightful person. But he said to me, you know what? You got to interview Harriet, Dr. Paul, because she's the one with the powerful story and she is just going to be a fantastic contributor to your show. And so, Harriet, I am honored that you would join me here today. Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Paul. I am looking forward to that dialogue. You know, Harriet, you are the co-author of a book titled The Secrets to living a fantastic life. Mm -hmm. Yes. And to be the co-author of a book with that kind of a bold title, it tells me that you've got a story. And I know about your story because I've read the book. Okay, excellent. And and this story is one that um, can be a little disturbing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you endured some unthinkable things. I say unthinkable, but actually we can think about them. So I guess they're thinkable. And if we can think about them, we can talk about them. We can talk about it. Yes. Harriet, I know it's important for you to share your story with people so that you can help to empower them to do what we call live on purpose. Mm -hmm. Would you take just a moment and share with our audience today what that story entails? Give us uh, the version that will help us to understand why you know some things about how to live a fantastic life. Oh, absolutely. I'm absolutely happy to share my story. And even today, it's still surreal for me to believe that I am a domestic violence survivor. Here I was, an international model, walking the runways full of confidence, yet I was a victim of a stalker. Now, my story really begins when I just retired from my modeling career. Mm-hmm. I decided I needed to change and just really focus on a formal education. So I decided to go to the university. I registered, and it was actually at the university that I met a fellow student whom I had absolutely no idea that his attraction to me was a psychological trap disguised as love that later on would become deadly. Uh, And I was your typical victim for domestic violence. I was young, I was naive, and I had absolutely no idea what the signs of an abusive relationship was. uh But yet I was vulnerable enough to trust him. So as I got to know him, he was kind, he was generous, but he had another side of him. He would hit me, he would yell at me, he would really be so abusive but then he would apologize. So I thought, oh, this is good. He apologized. So things went on as normal. Oh. But then it started becoming a pattern. He'd always yell and he would 
constantly abused me and it got to a point where I was afraid for my life because he was so controlling. He would always ask me, where are you going? Who are you going with? Why are you going here? So it was so upsetting and really depressing to be around him. I decided Mm -hmm. to go to the police and tell them what was happening. But unfortunately, the police said there's absolutely nothing they can do about because nothing had happened. It was basically Uh my word against his. Yeah. But they said the only thing they could do is they could give me a restraining order against him. That way, he would never come near me. So when they say that, I was quite excited. I thought, okay, this is great because... Great solution. It, yeah, I felt like a breakthrough. Yeah. It, I took the restraining order and he knew he wasn't going to be near me. So I went on with my life and I, I think he went on with his. It was one evening at the university. I was busy studying for my exam and a project that was due in a few days. And I looked at the time, it was getting late. I said, oh, I better get home. It's 11 o'clock, close to midnight. So I quickly packed my books and I started walking home, which was only about five minutes away from the university. Mm-hmm. And I got into the elevator, but I wasn't paying attention to my surrounding. I was busy looking in my handbag, trying to get my keys ready as soon as I get out, out of the elevator. Right. And as, as I was looking for the keys, I felt something. I felt him grab my neck and somebody grabbed my neck and squish it. And I had a voice and it was, it was him. It was him. He said, it was him. Yeah. He said, how dare you get that restraining order against me? Don't you know that I'm the only man who will ever love you? I have unconditional love uh-huh. for you. And I was can I just him. interject here? Oh, you bet. That's not love. No, it's definitely not. No. But you but described he, it earlier as a trap. Yes. It was a trap. Yeah. It was a psychological trap. Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness. And yeah. he thought he loved me. He was so convinced. And I think I was convinced too. So when I tried, when he was holding my neck, I tried to scream and I did. But then he got so scared that I was screaming. He quickly took, took his shoes off and took his socks off and tied the socks in a little ball and stuffed it right in my mouth Ow. to silence me. It was disgusting. <sighs> and he pulled me out I'm of terrified. the elevator. It was, oh, it was awful. So I had these socks in, in my mouth and he pulled me out of the elevator, pushed me into his vehicle and we started driving. So we were driving and he kept yelling and screaming and he was taping the whole thing. This was all being recorded. Because he's saying, yes, he said, okay, you must be cheating on me. How come you don't want to be around me? And he was yelling, you have to admit that you're cheating on me. And I told me, you need to stop. This is not love. And he was yelling and yelling. And then all of a sudden he saw a telephone booth. We both saw it. And he said, I needed to get out of the car, say goodbye to my parents, because that would be the very last time that they would ever hear from me. I said, no. Wow. He said, okay, Harriet, I'm going to ask you one more time. You need to get out of the car, go call your parents, say goodbye to them, because in the back of my car, I have a rope, a knife, and gasoline. I am going to wrap your body up with a rope, cut your body in pieces, and put gasoline all over you, and nobody will ever find you. Now, are you willing to call them now? I looked at him again, and I said no. So that second no was even worse. He was so angry and upset. So he reached over, grabbed a knife from a glove compartment, and he stabbed me twice on my left leg. And there was blood gushing everywhere. 
And even today, I have absolutely no idea how I got from that point to the hospital. Because when I woke up, there was the doctor, my father, and in the waiting room, those media and police waiting to talk to me. So the doctor wow. told me, it was, it was devastating. The doctor told my dad that the stab wound was so deep, my bone was chipped, and I had lost a lot of blood. And he was saying, yeah. I'm just on a critical point. So he said, I may never walk again. Or if I you, do, don't, you don't even know how you got to the hospital from there. I have absolutely no idea. The only That's, thing I did is I wow. read newspapers in the past to see how I got there. Still, it doesn't trigger a, mo- a memory There's at all. There's no memory. You were, you were probably unconscious by then. I was, yeah, I was blacked out and there's nothing. Somebody said I should get hypnotized and try to remember one day. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm so glad that you survived that because this is the kind of thing that has very different endings. It does, yes. Because when the doctor told my father that, I was, I was shocked because not too long ago, I was an international model walking the runways and full of mm-hmm. confidence. And now... I was a cripple and depressed. And the only thing that separated my confidence and depression was my trauma. So I started feeling sorry for myself. I said, oh my goodness, why me? How could this happen to me? You go through those internal dialogue. Sure. You think this can never happen to you. And I figured, you know, you know, this dialogue was doing me no good. I needed to start healing. So the doctor recommended perhaps I should start doing physiotherapy learning how to walk, see if that will help. So I, so I said, okay, I'll do it. So I was walking in my crutches and I was in the hospital one afternoon waiting for my physio. And of course there comes a little girl on a wheelchair and she caught me in the worst mood where I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I hoped that she would just go away. I, I hoped that she would just keep wheeling off and leave me alone. But then she stopped and talked to me. I was like, no, go away. But she kept asking me, you know, little girls, are, they're, they're always so full of energy. And she was the same. She was very tenacious. And I, I figured she wasn't going to leave. So I shared my story with her. I told her what exactly had happened in a version that a nine-year-old would really understand. Right. And with a big green eyes, she looked at me and said, wow, you should share your story with the world. And I didn't know what she meant. I said, what do you mean? Because she was only nine years old. Yeah. But she told me in their family, they always shared stories. And they always said, you need to go share that with your friends. So when she was saying that to me, she was saying my story was so strong and powerful. I needed to share that with the world. But the, at the time, I didn't know what she was wow. talking about. And I asked her what had happened to her, why she was in a wheelchair. So she told me that not too long ago, she was just driving with her parents going for a a recital, dance recital, a competition. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately there was a head on collision. There was a drunk driver hit their vehicle and both her parents died. So now she was motherless, fatherless and homeless. And she was going to be paralyzed from a waist down. Right. Yeah. But she had so much gratitude. And I was, oh my goodness, this little girl has so much gratitude. And here I was feeling sorry for myself. But life is not about comparing stories, really. It's about mm-hmm. what you do with what happens. So when she told me yeah, that yeah. at that point, I really didn't know what she meant. It was later on, a few years later, that I connected the dots. I realized, oh, what she said made sense. 
So that's when I, when I healed and everything, I decided to open up my own business called Empowered Me, which is about empowering young people to be, especially women, I focus on young women, to be the truest version of themselves. And it was Dr. Laika who was sponsoring an event called YWCA Women of Distinction. And this particular event was recognizing women in the community who had done a different, who had made a difference. There was trailblazers, there was astronauts, there was scientists. But for me, I was, I was nominated in the category called Turning Point. So that category was what, I, what a person had done with their life to impact the community. So my program had done that. And there was about 15 wow. women or so in that category. But luckily, I was the recipient of that award. So I was excited because mm-hmm. I knew that Dr. Like had sponsored the event and I, got, I got to meet him. So I was super excited. And I asked him if he, he could meet me for lunch. And I promised to pay for that lunch. And I did. I always remind him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it was later on that we started talking. We met for lunch. We talked about perhaps one day writing a book. And here we are. We wrote the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life with 13 Golden Pearls Within. These golden pearls, I think of as principles Mm-hmm. that allow us to rise above whatever happens in our life. And Harriet, as you shared your story, such an inspiring story. And I love that a young girl yeah. helped to turn the lights on for you so that you wouldn't she just is. shrink into that depression, which would be easy to do. You bet. But instead, you, you came forward from that to share your story, empowering women and other people all over the world now. To, to live their life on purpose. As we come back from this break, I'm hoping that we will get some of those pearls from you, some of what you learned. Does that sound good to you? Oh, that sounds great. I can't wait. Folks, this is Harriet Tinka at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your positivity to a whole new level? I've been enjoying these conversations with my guests at Live On Purpose Radio. My own story about becoming more positive is something that I've shared in my book, Pathological Positivity. And right now I'm giving the book away. You just pay for the shipping. Go to drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, and click on the big orange button right there that will get you a free copy of my book. You pay the shipping, I'll pay for the book. Sound like a good deal? Power up your positivity and get ready to see phenomenal changes in your happiness, your relationships, your business, every aspect of life. Enjoy this free gift from me. DrPaulJenkins.com. And we're back. Harriet Tinka at Live On Purpose Radio today. Harriet, you know what? I love my job. (laughs) Because I get to hang out with people like you. Mm -hmm. You've got such a fascinating, rich story, and I'm so grateful that that little girl turned the lights on for you. Me as well. So that you didn't just disappear into oblivion somewhere. And some people do, you know, things happen in life and they're like, oh, well, my life sucks. And then they're... Yes. As if they don't have anything to do with it anymore. 
But we have power and we have the ability to take whatever happens to us and move forward. You were able to do that. And I say that past tense. I know it's a continual journey. Um, and you're probably still working on stuff. I'm yeah, it's a, work. <laughs> it's a work in progress. But Harriet, you discovered some principles, or you and Dr. Laika call them pearls, mm-hmm. in your book, Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Yes. Would you take a moment and highlight for us what was most powerful for you? to take this tragic event that happened, this turning point, mm-hmm. and create a fantastic life. <laughs> you bet. So I think one of my favorite uh, golden pearls that I really applied when I was going through all the emotions I was going through was purpose. And this can be relatable to everybody right now, especially your audience during COVID. There's so much going on. We had to be isolated, quarantined. So mm. this is when you do your self-reflection. That's when you start thinking, what is the meaning of my life? What is my purpose? And to me, I see you found your purpose. Mm -hmm. So in the book, we use a principle called Ikigai, which is a Japanese word for reason for being. So when you're trying to find your Ikigai, you ask yourself four very important questions. Number one, what is it that you love to do? It can be maybe you love playing soccer. That doesn't mean you want to be a soccer player. It means you love, the career, you love that sport, but perhaps you want a career that has that team focus, the competitiveness. Or maybe you love the art gallery. You love going there. Maybe it means you want a career that has creativity in it. So that's mm-hmm. number one, when you're trying to find your purpose, ask what is it that you love to do? Number yeah. two, what are you good at? It's sometimes difficult to figure out what you're good at. You might be better off asking your friends because you might have done something for them and they can say, hey, Dr. Paul is really good at this. He did this. He helped me. So you didn't know you, you were so good at that. They will tell you you're good at. Yeah. Or maybe like for me, I'm really good with numbers. That's why I'm an accountant. So you can be an accountant as well. A bean counter like me. <laughs> so that's the other thing. <laughs> you know what, Harriet? Sometimes the things that we're really good at yeah. come so naturally to us mm-hmm. that we don't even realize that it's a superpower. Yes, I agree with that. That's so true. Like you can be good at listening to people like you. Are you good at talking with people? Maybe you could be a psychologist or a counselor or a podcaster. Yeah. So that's the number two question. What is it that you love to do? And then number three is what does the community need? There's, there's so many gaps out there, especially with COVID that has happened. What can your skill set do to cover that gap? So that's number three. And then number four, what is it that you can do and get paid for it? So that is important to be compensated for what you do. And maybe some people don't want to get paid, but that's an important question. Well, that becomes the, I call it the economic engine to the mission. Exactly. Yes. Because you need to be compensated. So those are the four questions. What is it that you love to do? What are you good at? What does the community need? And what can you do and get paid for it? So those are the four questions when you're trying to find your ikigai. And for your audience, what I would recommend, especially now that, you know, they might be doing this self-reflection, just start off with what I call a part-time ikigai. So just ask yourself of what is it that you love to do and what you're good at? Because it is a very comprehensive process and you can do it part-time as you're doing your other job as well. So can I ask you kind of a personal question about that? 
You bet. You were engaged in whatever you were doing before this assault occurred. I was an international model, yes. And now you're doing a <laughs> number of different things. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I picked up from you earlier that you're very passionate about empowering. Yes, uh, I love it. Young people. Mm-hmm. Um, what did this experience have to do with shaping that direction for you? We had a lot of experience. So when I was modeling, it was all about me and what I look like, my body. It was all about the, out, the external self. Right. And then I started teaching. After I healed, they asked me to start teaching young girls how to walk, how to be empowered. But it was really, I realized I was causing them the problem. I was building insecurities in them because I was telling them, you got to look this way, you got to look thin, you got to look this way. So I was the cause. And I said, that's not what I want for these young girls and young boys as well. I want them to feel like models, but they don't have to be, to be models because everybody wants to feel like the models feel on the runway with all that confidence, but not everybody needs to be a model. So I decided to start my own program is about empowering young people to feel that confidence, to love themselves, to live life on purpose, to know that this is what you were meant to do. So that's what all those experiences that I went through was a lesson along the way. There was a few failures. I didn't do it all perfectly. I failed. I was depressed. That's part of the process, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah. It's like that mental hygiene you spoke about earlier. So I had to go through that. I had to clean myself up and say, that's stinking thinking. You need to stop thinking like that. It does me no good. So right. when I went through the process, I found my purpose. And my purpose is to serve others so that they can live the life they were, they were meant to have. We're speaking the same language here. I think so. Yeah. I love that. And, and I love that your experience taught you this. You had to go through some very difficult, painful things to come to a more profound realization of what's really important. And now you can share that with others and empower these young people to have a better life because of what you've experienced. Oh, you bet. And I do it all the time. In fact, this weekend I had a group of young women. Actually, they were a little bit older. They were in the ages of uh, 30 to about 35, that age group. Mm -hmm. So I do work with women as well. And, they were all down in the dumps about how they feel about themselves. So I had to reset them and say, look what you've done. Sometimes you don't see what you've done because you've been through so much. There's a lot of young women there were saying during COVID, they had to take care of their job, take care of their children, take care of their, right. their partner. So it was too much going on and it was so much noise. So I told them, sometimes you need to reset. So the way I helped them with that, I use that three, five, four, three, two, one mindfulness. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. So it's a very, it's a very comprehensive. It's, it's what uh, people are going through anxiety will do. So you, the way it works is you have to do five things that you can see. So it's a, it's, it's a process. And you, when you're going through anxiety, it helps you. So five things that you can see. So you look around, for example, in this room, you can see a desk. You can see a plant. You can see a frame. So you look around in the room for five things you can see. And then four things you can touch. Maybe you can touch your shirt, you can touch your chair, your cell phone. So four things that you can touch. And then three things that you can hear. Like you can hear perhaps the sound of the dryer in the, mm. in the back, 
or maybe the fan going on. Mm-hmm. So you think about what you can hear. So it keeps you in the moment. And then two things you can smell. Maybe you can smell the perfume you're wearing. Or maybe you can smell the aroma in the room. So two things that you can smell. And then number one is one thing you can taste. So that could be the coffee in your mouth that you can taste right now. Or maybe the garlic you had for lunch. So you can taste that. So when you're going through that anxiety, just use that five, four, three, two, one mindfulness. And it will really help you reset and really, because it's about living in the moment. Because when you think about living in the moment, when you think about your past, you're thinking about it now. When you think about your future, you're thinking about now. So that's what living in the moment means. You're thinking about what you need to do right now. There's some power coming back to the present and being grounded here and now. It is so important. It really puts things in perspective. Harriet, we only have a few minutes left, but I think you promised us two pearls. Okay. <laughs> and the okay. purpose. Now you threw in this thing about the five, four, three, two, one as well. So we kind of got a bonus there. <laughs> yes. You mentioned to me during the break another powerful one that I hope we can at least mention. Okay, I, w- I would do it very quickly because we don't have a lot of time, and that's forgiveness. Yes. Because when that what happened to me, I had to learn to forgive so that I can start healing. And I know a lot of experts out there tell us you need to forgive quickly so that you can start healing. It's so important for you. And, and it's, it's not easy to forgive. It's easy to forgive when somebody cuts you off when you're driving or a friend of yours forgets to meet you when you were supposed to meet you. So those are easy to forgive. But when something traumatic happens to you, it's not easy to forgive because forgiveness is not a natural, it's, it's not natural for us. But mm. hate is natural. We use hate to really protect what we love. For example, you can say, I hate cancer because it's hurting my father. So yeah. you're using hate to remind yourself of what you love. And I'm not trying to advocate hate, but I had to use right. hate right. to help me learn how to, to forgive. Because if you look in Wikipedia, hate, the definition is a, dis, a deep dislike for something or someone. So when people say I don't want to hate. They mean I don't want to be angry because anger is out of control. It's destructive. It's throwing things out. That's anger. So for me to learn to forgive, I had to use three steps. Number one, I had to ask myself, what, what is it that I hate? I hate my attacker because he put me in the hospital. I hate my attacker because he put a scar on my leg. So that's number one. And then number two is get rid of the second sentence and replace it with love. I hate my attacker, but I love being healthy. I hate my attacker, but I love my perfect imperfections. And then number three, get rid of the hate and focus on the love. I love being healthy. I love my perfect imperfections. I love my family. So all of a sudden it becomes a love journal. So in the morning you can say, I love this. I love my my perfect imperfections. I love my life. So whatever it is. And then in the evening, it's almost similar to a gratitude journal. Yeah. But when yeah. you're going through forgiveness, you need to go through, I love me. I love my inside. I love everything about me, even the perfect imperfections. That's who I am. That's what makes me beautiful inside and out. So that's my golden pearl, forgiveness. I love that golden pearl. <laughs> it's so it's in it's it's so essential to all of us because we forgive every day it could be a little thing you're forgiving your child for what they did for lying to you or something you forgive yourself for oh, putting oh. yourself in that situation there's abundant opportunities mm-hmm. there is definitely. stuff's going to happen it, it is it's part of human um, this journey. has been 
This has been such a, an illuminating and empowering conversation. I'm so grateful that you've joined me here today. Oh, so am I. I want to make sure that our, our listeners are aware of your book called The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, which you co-authored with Dr. Alan Laika, who, by the way, was also on the show. You guys can go back in the archives and listen to my interview with Dr. Laika. He's a fascinating person as well. Oh, he is, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Lots of wisdom. <laughs> what a gift this is, because that wisdom that the two of you have gained through going through difficult experiences of your own is now being shared with the world in an empowering format that I'm just very pleased to, oh, to be I'm a excited. part of that. Um, so go check out the book, everyone. Harriet, is there is there a last gem that you want to share with our audience before we turn to this? <laughs> I think one of the biggest thing is everybody's going through so much right now. Now, just think of yourself taking a rock and throwing it in the lake. Take the same rock, throw it in the ocean. Take the same rock and throw it in the waterfall. It's all going to react differently. So all of us are going through the same, same thing, but we're going to react differently. Speed is not a measuring stick for how we are going to react. You could, something could happen to you and you're going to, be very, you're going to be very quick at reacting. Some of us may take a little bit longer. So we're all going through the same thing, but different. So yeah. people are going through, and especially your audience, you're not alone. We're all there. Just reach out to your friend and just share anything that you want to. Because when you're going through so much, it's easy to be in your alone space. And I know that. So you really, number one, you have to be grateful. Use your gratitude journal. Write things that you are grateful for. That's number one. And number two is just reach out to your friends and just know you're not alone. Uh, Somebody's there to support you. And it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. That's the main, main message. That is for sure. Harriet, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your kind spirit with us here today at Live on Purpose Radio. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I'm so honored to be part of that conversation. Listeners, now that you've heard it, it's time to go practice it. Let's all go live on purpose. Purpose.